This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so we are continuing on a series called Understanding the Times and a mini-series within the series called How to Cheat Deceit. And so last week I started with How to Cheat Deceit and continuing this morning. So I, I, I shared last week that who or what we worship will ultimately define or destroy our witness. Every one of us is a witness for Christ, but the, the, the quality of our witness, our credibility of, of being a witness for Jesus is connected to what's happening in our hearts. If there's an idol in the heart, if there is anything that we exalt above Jesus, then ultimately that will impact our witness for Christ. So I was sharing basically we need to deal with those idols. I also shared that if you have an idol in your heart, you're going to hear what you want to hear. You're going to think it's God speaking to you, but it's not. You're going to hear what you want to hear, and that will lead you into deception. And I also shared about the importance of accountability, of having trusted and trustworthy voices in our lives to speak into our lives. The season just seems to be a, an a, a interesting season, you know, like there's so many voices and we can, you know, you, if you want to hear it, you're going to, you're going to hear it somewhere. And so I want to take you to this first verse as we're going to, I'm going to share with you how to overcome deceit, how to be free from deception. And I want to start off in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 <clears throat> to give you some context. The Apostle Paul is actually a very emotional passage. If you read that whole part, he was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, so the, the leaders of the Ephesian church, and, and Paul invested years of his life. And he was telling them, guys, you're not going to see me again. I'm probably going to, he felt like he's probably going to die or something's going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem. So they were weeping on one another's shoulders. And so this was like Paul's final words to the leadership of the church, the church that he planted, to say, okay, I'm going, but beware of the things that are coming. So Acts 20, verse 28, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves. Evaluate yourself, even to the leaders of the church. Evaluate yourself that you're still in the faith, that you're on track, and to all the flock, look after the people of God, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's not man that is appointed leadership. It is the Holy Spirit that appoints leadership. And it says to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Ah, you are you hearing the heart of Paul there? Jesus paid with his own blood for every precious soul. So he's like speaking to the leaders and guys, look out for them. Protect the flock. Stand and do what you need to do to protect the flock. And I'm, I'm experiencing that urgency in my own life for, for the church, for the people of God to not fall into deception, but to stay on track and to be protected from the schemes of the enemy. So verse 29 says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And those wolves are false teachers, false doctrines that lead people astray. In verse 30, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things or distorted truths. It's the truth, but it's distorted to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
Always be careful when people tend to draw people to themselves instead of to Jesus. And as I said this morning to everybody that became members of us at the church, at the church, I challenged everybody to say, but make a covenant with God today that in every season of your life, you're going to be committed and planted in a local church. Not just here. If the Lord sends you on, move you somewhere else, that's fine. But at least go to a church. Get stuck in because that is the will of God. But there's a trend of disconnecting. There's a trend of not believing in church anymore, church community anymore. While the word of God is very, very clear about it. So that's my challenge to all of us. Every season of your life, get stuck in to the local church because that's ultimately where you're going to grow. So Paul is saying, man, I'm, I am concerned of what is coming. And so there's a guy um, called Dr. Corne Becker, South African, who's been in the United States now for a while. And he's at Regent University and he's the dean of one of the faculties. And, and uh, they raise up hundreds, if not thousands of preachers in the United States. The people come there to be equipped. They do postgraduate degrees. And he's a very anointed man, and he studies especially history in the early church and the trends of what, what happened like at the early church after the apostles and, and beyond. So in 2016, he shares the story that in 2016, on the, the evening that the elections, American elections happened when Donald Trump won that first election in 2016, he was on live TV. Christian TV, and he was being interviewed, and, and, and they asked him this question. So Dr. Cornet, what is the biggest issue or problem in the church right now? And his answer was this, monomania. Monomania. An obsession with one biblical truth at the expense of another biblical truth. Monomania. Here's a definition about mono, for monomania. It says, passionate about one biblical truth, but not balancing it out with the rest of Scripture. And I love that, that when, he, when he shared this with us, because I realized this is why I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to me that as a church, we need to embrace the fivefold ministry. All five, apostolic, prophetic, pastoral, teaching, and evangelistic. Because it's not monomania. But what we find is that people tend to, the, the, all the prof, prof, prophets or the prophetic people, they tend to all be together. We're prophetic. And we're deep. And there are probably some excesses. And then you have the teachers. We are teachers and we love teachers. Verse by verse teaching. Verse by verse, that's all we do. Verse by verse. And then the others are evangelistic and they all together. And, and you find that in the wider church body that people tend to move to where their passion is at the expense of receiving the rest of the fivefold ministry. And so we see this in Ephesians 4. We're talking about how to cheat deceit, how to break out of deception. Ephesians 4 verse 14, this is the impact, the result of the church embracing the fivefold ministry or the fivefold ministers and what they, these gifts that they bring to the church. If we embrace the fivefold ministry, this is the result. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. 
Okay, so this is a call to maturity. Instead of just having our pet doctrines and what we like, we need to grow up. We need to see the bigger picture. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. It seems that most of the church is getting blown around by somebody new on Facebook or wherever. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever, they sound like the truth. Okay, that's how deception works. It really sounds, man, and they sound authoritative. Have you seen some of these videos online about the weird and the wild? It's like, man, this, this guy really sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love, the whole truth, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So it's about the whole truth and then becoming more ultimately like Jesus, growing up into maturity. So what is deception? Deception is embracing a biblical truth, but at the expense of another truth. So this is one of the keys. It is and, not all. It tends, we, we tend to embrace, so you read a book and like, whoa, this truth is amazing. Yes, it's of God. But it's not now we chuck away the other aspects of the truth, the other components of scripture. So it is and, not all. We tend to be, with God is the great I am. He is massive. He is massive. So come on, say with me, say and, not or. Okay, this is very important. This is very important because we, we can so easily miss it when it comes to this. I'm sure some of you have heard of something that's called an echo chamber. So here's a picture of an echo chamber. It's like you there in the middle, you have your bubble around you, and in your echo chamber, you are only hearing what you want to hear. You have an opinion, and you only listen to voices that agree with your opinion, and you're not allowing the other voices in. It's called an echo chamber. So definition of this, an echo chamber is an environment where a person only encounters information or opinions that reflect and reinforce their own. An environment where a person only encounters information or opinions that reflect and reinforce their own. So in the, in the, it happens in the church world as well. The prophets are together. The pastoral relational people are together. The teachers, they stand together. The prophetic or the evangelists. And then you find an echo chamber. That they, 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 there are excesses. There are extremes. There are imbalances in what we believe. It's like the prophetic people and the teachers, they really need one another. Because the prophetic people, they fly all over the show. They go deep, third heaven, fourth heaven. Man, there's probably a 20th heaven. They've been there. They're flying. And the teachers like, did come down. Let's anchor you in the word. You're going overboard now. Come, come, trach, to. You know, and then the teachers need the prophetic people because the teachers tend to be more intellectual and more knowledge, 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 while the prophetic, like, no, intimacy with Jesus, calm. You must love him, not just think the whole time. Stop thinking so much. You know, so they balance, they balance one another out. The evangelists tend to be like, go, go, go at all costs. We lay down our lives, we go souls, you know, and then they sometimes tend to miss relationships. They tend to miss, no, 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 but they are actually, you need to focus on your relationships as well. You know, you, you do have a wife. Please remember to say you love her. 
you know. <laughs> and I recently heard about things like this, you know, a group of evangelists being together, and then we just heard, man, it's like across the board, all the marriages are falling apart. It is a complete disaster. But souls, yeah. So, so the excesses, the imbalances, the deception, where we miss the fullness of God. It's like the one story account I, I heard about a, um, in, like in China, you know, they, they have, in the East, they tend to have an understanding of laying down their lives for Christ. And they go full on. But to extremes. So I heard of this one preacher, he, he, his family is in the one city and he is building a church in another city. And he, man, he only comes home for one week a year. One week a year. And so he came home for that one week. And then he, I think he went back to train station. So his little boy, his son was there. And the boy was crying and said, Daddy, don't go. And he turned around and he said, get behind me, Satan. Sure. See, now that is deception. That, that poor boy will probably have to do all our encounters for healing, inner healing. Oh, that day my dad said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so that man has an understanding about going for the gospel. But then he should also understand, now you are married. You have a covenant and you have children. If you want to live like that, then don't marry. Be like the apostle Paul and go from jail to jail. You know, but if you have a covenant with somebody and you have children, you have a responsibility to look after them and to be a good dad and to raise up your children in the Lord. You see, balance that, but they're missing the relational, the pastoral. You know, and that just breaks my heart because we're justifying it with scripture. But the Bible says, lay down your life for Jesus. Yes, but the Bible also says <laughs> the other components. And so we tend to embrace one truth at the expense of the other. It is and, and then there's tension between the two. There's tension. And we don't like that tension. We don't like tension. We want everything fit nice in our little box. Like, oh, now I understand. It's just this. No, it's not just this. It's this as well. Tension. Come on, say tension. tension. There's tension between different kinds of truths. So Romans 11 verse 22 speaks about this. It says, therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell severity, those who were cut away, the, in this case the Jews that fell away, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So that's challenging. We don't like that. Goodness and severity. How? Whoa. And that's just confusing. But there's tension. This is one of the keys of staying out, key principles to stay out of deception is there is a middle road. You need to stay in the middle of the road. There's a ditch on the one side of the road and there's a ditch on the other side of the road. So here's a picture of a car crash. That's driving into the ditch. So the one side you have a truth. But when you exclusively embrace that, you'll find yourself veering off track. For instance, on the one hand you have the love of God. 
Man, God is good. He is love. He is kind. He is forgiving. He will always forgive me all my sin. If you take it into extreme, it means, man, I can live how I want to live. I can do what I want to do because God's always just going to forgive me. He is love. It's true, but now you live in a way that is dishonoring to God and offensive to God. But you're like, you've built your own little thing like, man, but God is love. No, no, no. The other side, you have another ditch. It's called, but God is holy. He's glorious. He is fearsome. This is also who God is. I mean, the scriptures say that, you know, on judgment days, like the earth and the heavens will flee before the face of God because he is so holy and so fearsome. We see in the scriptures in the book of Revelation every time when Jesus appeared to John, the man who rested his his head on his chest, when Jesus appeared in all his glory, John fell down as if dead, terrified, because like, what is this? He's holy. He's glorious. That's why the angels around the throne just continuously declare, holy, holy, holy. So there's tension between love. He is love, but he is holy. He is judge. He is glorious. And, but if you only do holy, and if you only do, do his, his fearsome, you're probably going to battle with condemnation and guilt. You're always going to feel like you're not good enough and need to do more and always just afraid. But if we are to love God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength, that means we love all of who God is. He is love, and I love that about him. And he is holy, and I love that about him. I love his holiness because it draws me higher. I love his holiness because it makes me holy. It purifies my heart and life. I love him. But what we sometimes try to do is to, no, no, it's just the one. Or it's just the other. We tend to go to imbalances. And we all have certain areas that we're more passionate about. Man, I like that part of who God is. So I just skip over those other verses. Oh, promises. Yes. Victory. Yes. It's the word, yes, my victory is mine. It's going to turn for good. And that's true. That's true. But there's also a component that in the journey of God and with God, there's also suffering. There are times we have to grit your teeth. There are times when the victory isn't manifesting, but Jesus, I know he has won it. And it's, yes, my God has won. But it doesn't feel like it right now. Suffering. And so some only like build the suffering, like you need to suffer for Jesus. It's all about suffering. <laughs> suffering. You need to suffer for Jesus, man. Y'all, that's, you know, just like suffering. No, no, no. It's suffering with victory. <laughs> Tension. Like, yes, Jesus is going to turn all things for good, but there are times that's going to be tough and temptation will knock on our doors and then you have to like Jesus help me to come through this there will be trials there will be challenges but if we only embrace the one or the other we're going to miss it we're going to be deceived because there's victory but now when suffering comes you don't know what to do with it or it's only suffering and you have no joy in the midst of what you're going through and no faith and no hope to turn things around you need both amen come on say and It's both. 
It's both. There's tension. All truth in scripture, there is tension between one truth and another truth. You need to embrace both if you want to stay in the middle road or you will be deceived. You will miss it. So you need to embrace both. So look at Acts 20, verse 26. It says, this is now the Apostle Paul continuing with the, with the elders, speaking to the Ephesian elders. And he says, therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Paul says, there, I, I, my, my, there's no blood on my hands. Why? For he says in verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Come on, say, the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. In other words, it's not just the, the bits that we like, the promises. No, it's the convicting parts. It's the challenging parts of Scripture. It's the corrections, the call to repentance, the call to turn to the call to holiness, the call to turn to Jesus with all our hearts. There is a temptation to cherry pick to, to select only certain parts of the scriptures, only the positive parts, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. As A.W. Tozer says in this quote, he says, heresy, just put that on here, heresy is presenting truth, but conveniently leaving out some of the truth. And this is happening today. He said that was 50 years ago when he wrote that. Another quote, he says, it seems that every denomination has cherry-picked the truth of the message they will focus on. To cherry pick means that some truth is unaccounted for, which means the message is incomplete. And I know God is challenging me, and that's why we, we do different series focusing on different aspects, sorry, different aspects of the fivefold ministry, because I need to focus, I need to, I have certain passions, I will preach about that every Sunday. But now I need to balance it out by becoming passionate about every aspect of who God is. Every aspect, not just one aspect, but to love God with all our hearts and minds and souls. And so I, I feel we, we see this as we've been talking about the end times. We see this in the book of Revelation, we, the imbalances. We see, um, you see, the one part is monomania, an obsession with one truth at the expense of another. But there's a different aspect as well. It's about majoring on the minors instead of majoring on the majors. And I feel there are many people that are majoring on the minors of the book of Revelation. You see, the, the word revelation in Greek is the word apocalypsis, which we get the word from apocalypse. And if you think apocalypse, you think the end, <laughs> destructive end. But the word means revelation. And it ultimately, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. In other words, if you read the book of Revelation and you're only seeing the devil, <laughs> you're missing it. You're majoring on a minor. You're supposed to see the big picture. The big picture is Jesus wins. He ultimately judges all evil and we win. The bride prepares herself for the, for the wedding feast that is coming. That, that is the bigger picture. But some tends to focus more on the other side. So the book of Revelation has this picture also see of the curtain being pulled away. I think that Revelation is like revealing hidden truths and ultimately starts and ends the book of Revelation. And in between, we get these visions of the glory of Jesus. Glorious, holy, pure, wondrous 
the word of God, who is glorious, and he wins. Doesn't matter all the chaos happening on earth, he is still reigning in heaven. So I feel sometimes the, you know, as I said last week as well, some people can't get into the book of Revelation. And some people can't get out of the book of Revelation. You know, it's just like we're stuck in there. It's like the end, the end, the end. I'm going out on a limb. It's not the end. I will see you this time next year. Okay, quote me on that. <laughs> Are we embracing the monomania, the alarmist nonsense? No. Let's get back to the main deal. Let's get back to the main deal to love God and to love people. To reach the lost for Christ. That is, his heart burns for them. And so what is the book of Revelation about? It's about Jesus, yes. And then secondly, it speaks also, it was originally written to the, to the early church in the midst of great suffering. It was a, a manual to help them suffer well. To not deny Christ. They were thrown to the lions. They were challenged. Deny Christ or die. And this book was all about, guys, Jesus has won. All these good things are coming. Stand strong. Don't. You're not suffering for no reason or no purpose. So we see this Revelation 14 verse 12. It's like the essence of the message to the early church. It says, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. Obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. Guys, don't stop persevering. Don't give up. Even you're going through terrible persecution. It is worth it. Be a faithful witness for Jesus. That was the original message. It wasn't about trying to figure out when, what will happen. It was about suffering well. So I want to encourage you to evaluate the voices that you listen to. Are they embracing balance? Are they embracing the full fivefold ministry? Or are they maybe majoring on a minor? So what also happens is that we tend to put God in a box. So look at this 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. It says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. So, So Paul is speaking to a young man, Timothy, and saying, hey, Work hard on becoming a better you. Present yourself to God to receive his approval. He says, be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. So he says, learn how to correctly explain the word of truth. In other words, you can incorrectly explain the word of truth. It's like the last month, the things that I've been preaching, some people have been sending me messages saying like, but Andre, you're preaching the opposite of what all the American preachers are preaching. I'm like, hallelujah. (laughs) Praise Jesus. (laughs) I feel good about that. I feel good about that. I'm like, man, I feel like, man, maybe, maybe then I'm on the right track. Not just preaching what everybody else is preaching, but let's get back to the word. Let's get back to, to discerning the times that we are living in. To actually correctly explain the word of truth. So what happens is somebody gets a revelation. And I know, that's the tendency for all of us. You get a revelation of something and it's of God. It's beautiful. But now you try to package it in a way that that's 
all. I figured it out. That's the box. So you can put the picture of the box on there. We want to put God in a box. So let's say we get a revelation of, say, the love of God or the grace of God or the goodness of God. And then we package it all in that box. I have figured out. This is who God is. And we try to deny all the other verses in the Bible that is in tension with that truth. So be aware of that. Be careful. God is bigger than your box. Amen? He's bigger than your box. Yes, he is love, but he is holy and fearsome. God can do whatever he wants to do. He can kill. He can send to hell. He can do whatever he wants to do because he is God. He doesn't desire to send people to hell. He doesn't desire. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants to reveal his goodness, his blessing. He is a loving father. You know, it's like we try to put it in a box. Some people would say, well, God can never be angry. Are you sure? Any verses in the Bible that maybe contradicts that belief? I can think of a few. But we try to put him in a box. God cannot be angry. And it's like, I mean, your dad, when you were younger. The, the, the scripture says, God is slow to anger. Like your dad was, probably, hopefully, slow to anger. You push him, you push him, he's like, like watch show, stop it. I'm checking you. Don't do that. If you touched it, there's trouble. And then you're like, ha ha. <laughs> and then dad is angry. And in the good old South Africa, a vuxy vio. Vux, vux. A hiding. Ah, oh, the good old South Africa. There were some good things. There were just some, just some of it. Just some of it like that. That was just, that was just beautiful. But, so you feel it on your bum. You experience the anger. But it's redemptive. Because your dad loves you. He's going to give you a hiding. Because he wants to help you, to save you from being stupid. And the same way God does that for us. He loves us so much. He says, if you do that again, you're going to feel it. I love you so much. Amen. So there's tension. But we want to put God in a box. He can never be angry. Oh my word, he can be angry. I tell you, I know. Ooh, the fear of God comes upon me when I'm like, Ooh, do something stupid. Don't do something stupid. He will expose you. I just know, I just know, I just know. God's not going to let me get away with everything because he set the standard for me is up there. Other people can maybe live over here, but I know I need to live up there. And if I just drop that standard a little bit, I'm like, ooh, conviction. Let's go back to God's standard. And that is love. Because he has a destiny. So we, uh, we're speaking to a, uh, at a youth, amplified youth group on Friday night with my son and some other boys. And so I, I asked him this question, guys, what is sin? What is the definition of sin? And they were like, mm, no, 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 no. I said, def- this definition of sin is, is like to be in the will of God is like you have a, a dartboard and there's a bullseye and you, you hit the center. That is the will of God. Sin is anything outside of the will of God. So it's more than just I did something bad. It's I am outside of his will. I'm not pursuing his will for my life. I am compromising. I'm living substandard to all that he has for me. And the fear, the holiness of God says that every one of us will stand before God one day. and We need to give an account for our lives. Did you? Were you faithful? 
with all that I gave you? Were you faithful? Or did you compromise? Did you live substandard? And that fear of God, that holiness of God, like should help you to wake up and say, stop sleeping, stop compromising, stop going through the motions, stop living for self. I'm going to stand before the king one day. You are going to stand before the king. So we need its end. And yes, he loves you. And yes, you can't do it in your own ability, but you can say, Jesus, forgive me, help me to live a life that glorifies your name. Amen. Amen. So don't put God in a box. Don't put God in a box. God can do whatever he wants to do. So another quote by A.W. Tozer, he says, has there ever been a generation as gullible? Now, guys, this is 60 years ago. Has there ever been a generation as gullible as those today who will believe anything they read or hear in the newspaper, radio, or television? Then you're like, oh, God. Social media has taken us to a whole nother dimension of crazy. A whole nother dimension of gullible. No, come on. We need, we can do better. We can do better. We can be anchored in the word of God and not run around to every weird and fancy teaching. So 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 to 5, it says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living. There you see it. Judge the living and the dead. So he's like, he's like speaking to Timothy. Hey, in the light of one day standing before God and giving an account. Preach the word, verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Preach the word. Don't compromise. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Not just encouraging, but correct. Challenge them. Verse 3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. It's like what currently happening. If you, if you have the weirdest idea on the planet, you're going to find about a hundred other people online that will completely agree with you. It's like the one time, you know, if you want that one time I saw a young man and he, he came to me and then he said like, the earth is flat. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> the earth is flat. There's an explosion of flat earthers currently. They believe it with all their heart. Thousands of people. And they all psych one another up and they post videos that confirm their echo chamber. It is flat. I just didn't know what to do. I don't think I was very godly in that counseling session, to be honest. But I was just caught off guard. But if you have a weird idea, you're going to find somebody else out there that's going to confirm it. And that's what it says. That they will, they will find, look for teachers who will confirm what they want to hear. Verse 4. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Come on, guys. Clear mind. Clear mind. Eyes on God. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Hallelujah. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given to you. Clear mind. Clear mind. Focus on reaching others for Christ. Get back to the main deal. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't stay in an echo chamber. So the one way that monomania happens is like we, we embrace one truth, we reject the others. But the second aspect is we major on the minors. And, I, and as I shared last week, you know, there's these two beasts in the book of Revelation. 
The one beast comes out of the sea. The other beast comes out of uh, from the land. And I believe it could be interpreted in a way this two, the one speaks of government, governmental power, and the other one speaks of religious power, but false power. And for me, it connects to what Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The political spirit, I spoke about last week, and the is all about externals. It's about looking good, looking good, impressing people. So Jesus says this in Matthew 23, verse 5. He just rebukes, and he just rebukes the Pharisees, the religious crowd. He rebukes, he calls them snakes. He rebukes them. He threatens them with hell. I mean, it, Jesus is not mincing his words. And he says, but all their works they do to be seen by men. That's the religious spirit. It's about looking good. It's like you driving to church and you and your wife having a fight of your lives. Like, woman, man, woman, man. And now you come to church and you're like, hey, blessed, 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 brother, blessed, blessed. We are blessed. Blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Victory. 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 Yes. And you worship. And you're like, yes, we bless. You get back into the car. You're like, you know, but everything's fine because, hey, we're looking good in front of the people. You know, it's fake. It's fake. I'm not saying you must like every Sunday, like come and take the mic. And I just want to say me and my wife had a big fight on our way to, to church now. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But we need to evaluate our lives. Or is there a disconnect between our public image and our behind the scenes? Is there hypocrisy? We must close that gap. Otherwise, it's a religious spirit that could be influencing us and causing us to be ultimately ungodly. So look at the rest of this, Matthew 23, verse 23. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, the fakeness, the disconnect between your public image and what's happening behind the scenes. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. It's like there's 10 little plants and I'm tithing the one. I am faithful. I'm tithing. But then it says, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, like the fear of God, mercy, the love of God, and faith to trust in God. Then he says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The more important things. Otherwise, don't major on a minor. You will be deceived. You're going to miss it. And I think this is what the religious spirit does. We major on the minors, and we are so proud of ourselves, but we are absolutely missing God's heart. So then verse 24, it says, blind guides, you strain your waters, so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but in actual fact, you're swallowing a camel. You, you're like, I don't want to swallow the little gnat, but you actually swallow a camel. That's how missing, you're missing it. You're missing the heart of God. You're missing the main deal. And so we need to get back to the main deal. What's the main deal? If we want to stay out of deception, we need to embrace the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. And then secondly, we need to major on the majors, not major on the minors. Come on, say amen. So to end off, John 4, 23 to 24. It says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. 
So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So God is saying, I'm looking for worshipers, but they must worship me in the spirit and with the truth. In other words, they must worship me for who I truly am. As I said last week, if you have an idol in your heart, you're going to hear what you want to hear from God. In the same way, let's say there is sin in your life and that you're holding on to it. You don't want to let go of it. It's an idol. So what's going to happen is you're going to come to the word of God. You're going to come to the scriptures and you're going to reinterpret the scriptures according to your idol. You're going to read what you want to read. Because in a sense, you have built your own God. It's not Jesus. You're like, Jesus, I'm worshiping you. But it's no longer Jesus. Because the Jesus you were worshiping is fine with hypocrisy, with living a double life, with sin, with rubbish in your life. You're like, Jesus is fine with it. No, he's not fine with it. So we need to evaluate ourselves. Are we holding on to things that is actually causing us to reinterpret the scriptures? Because Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. Don't distort the image of God. There's tension. There's truth. All of scripture so that we can make sure we are worshiping the the right God. Amen. Conviction in the house. Hallelujah. So how does this work? We need to come to the word of God and allow it to speak to us. Allow the word to cut. Allow the word to convict. Allow the word to lead you into repentance. Allow the word of God to challenge you on your lifestyle. And that's why I love listening to preachers who bring a solid word with repentance and holiness and purity and all of that. Because that's what I get when I read the scriptures. (laughs) Go read the scriptures again. Man, it's black on white. It's so clear. Repent, purity, holiness, humility, teachability, accountability. It's like God is calling us to maturity. That is the word of God. And that is how we should bring the word. So allow God's word to speak to you, to cut you. Don't bring your framework to the word and reinterpret the scriptures. That will lead to deception. And here's the last verse I want to read. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And this is, I believe, One of the keys to stay out of deception. It says, then he said, that's Jesus, said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, I mean, I'm sure all of us want, we want to know Jesus. We want to know him. We want to walk with him. We, we want to know his fullness. Then he says, wow, how the path to follow Jesus. How, how do we find the path to follow Jesus? He says, well, then let him deny himself, deny himself, self, deny self. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Last time I checked, the cross isn't the joke. It's dying to self. That this is probably the toughest part of the Christian life. And it says daily. It's daily. It's like with me and my wife at times, I'm like, self wants to rise up and wants to say how I am right. Yeah. And then I go and I have a bit of time with myself. And then I'm reminded of this verse, deny yourself. It was your stupidheit, but your frau now upset it, Andre. You're right. I shouldn't have said that. That's something that recently happened. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't think through it. I just said it. I didn't think how she would feel about it. And now I'm upset that she's upset. 
Ever happened to you before? I'm upset that she's upset, but then I realize it's me. Just me. All me. So then I repent. And I went back and I said, Sonic, I'm sorry. I didn't think through it. It's never happened ever before in my life that I said something without thinking about it. This is completely foreign to me. Oh, I'm a verbal processor, so sometimes I just say it. Don't just say it. But then I realized, no, deny self. Deny self and find one another again. Because that is God's love flowing through my wife, through me to my wife. That is the call of God. It's about denying ourselves. For verse 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That is the biggest challenge. To pursue God in a way that we don't pursue our fleshly, selfish desires. But we lay that on the altar because I want to fulfill the will of God. I want all of Jesus in my life. I want to fulfill the mission. I want to glorify his name. I don't want no hypocrisy in my life. I want no disconnect between my public image and who I am at home. It must be seamless. Same me here as at home. Where are you at? Where are you at? Can can we come and take a look what's happening in your life? Can, Can I come and stand at the window? What's happening in this home? Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's coming to look. He sees your heart. It doesn't matter what people say. He sees everything. He sees every thought. He sees every word. He hears it. He sees every action. Everything we do, he sees it all. That is the fear of God. So I can fake it in public, but I know God will not get, allow me to get away. If I mistreat my wife, if I mistreat people, if I am sinning in the dark, God sees. It doesn't matter what people say. So where are you at? Has that religious spirit crept into your heart, into your life? Like, well, at least I'm looking good in front of people. But Jesus is seeing, seeing something else. Hallelujah, that's just brilliant preaching. (laughs) So Watchman Nee said this, Attempting to follow him without denying the self is the root of all failures. That is the truth. You can pull it back to that. The root of all failures. Let's stand. I really want us to respond I want, us to, I want to challenge us to do business with the Lord this morning. Conviction is beautiful. Condemnation is not of God. But conviction leads to redemption and to freedom. So how do we, here's a summary. How do we break out of monomania? Number one, embrace the whole counsel of God, the, all of the word. Number two, embrace the full fivefold, not just your passion, but read and expose yourself to people beyond your passion. And connected to that, don't major on the minors. Of ask yourself, well, I'm obsessed about this. I'm passionate about this. Is this the main, is this the main thing? Loving God, loving people. Is this the main thing? Mercy, justice, and faith. And then lastly, if you want to stay out of deception, deny self and follow Jesus. It is the key 
to knowing him. It is the key to healthy relationships. It is the key to living a God-glorifying life. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.